1: Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms.
0: Hello. Hello. How are you? Tired. <laughs> Real? Oh yeah, we did. We woke up at like four forty-five this morning to get to the gym. Uh huh. <laughs> it was yeah. kind of nice. We had a
1: busy day today, so four forty-five it was, and yeah, it was nice once we were there but I yeah. am sleepy now. You probably jumped right into the shower, but I went home and went back to bed after I made the kids lunches. I did for sure. You did? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So today we are talking to Kelly and Kelly's going to share her experience with her marriage. I mean, this is a continuation of our marriage
0: series, right? Right. Yeah. So this is the third episode of our, our marriage series. Yeah.
1: So Kelly's going to share her experience with her husband who had a one night stand a month after she was diagnosed. So Kelly didn't find this out until after she started chemo several months later. And they lived separately all throughout her treatment. And now they're currently in counseling and considering reconciling. So yeah, positive. yeah. So we'll start with what her relationship was
0: like prior to her cancer diagnosis. And then we're gonna go into how it felt to find out that her husband kind of betrayed her during this life-threatening illness. And maybe we'll finish on
1: how Kelly and her husband are doing now and what she learned from this experience about her marriage and cancer.
0: Perfect. But before we do that, let's jump to our first sponsor.
1: We did it, we fought our way to survivorship, but for some of us, our story unfolds to include lymphedema. Hearing this new diagnosis can be disheartening, but with the right care, it doesn't have to be the burden it once was. FlexiTouch Plus is a comfortable and convenient home management therapy clinically proven to control swelling better than self-massage while reducing infection risk, outpatient visits, and lymphedema-related care costs. Talk to your doctor to see if the FlexiTouch pump is right for you. Learn more at TactileMedical.com. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for coming on and being willing to talk to us about your marriage and the impact that your husband's infidelity had on your marriage. How are you?
2: Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Of course. Now, you okay, how long have you and your husband been married?
2: So this is my second marriage. We married. We got married in 2016. It was a pretty quick kind of, we were dated for about a year. This is actually both our second marriages. So we we're both coming in with, with kids from our first marriage, second marriage, blended family. Yeah. So, so 2016, we were married.
0: And how old are your kids? All the kids?
2: <laughs> My daughter is 13. His son is 11 and his daughter is
1: nine
2: okay so they're all about two years
1: apart okay that's my son and daughter are two years apart so which which I I like but can get overwhelming if you have multiples Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so how (laughs) was how was it blending your families was it stressful or did it seem fairly easy
2: you know it was challenging at times unfortunately because we only have his children every other weekend Mm -hmm. you know that cuts our time together uh, to create a bond you know, down. And so it took a longer time for us to really bond as a family unit because of the visitation order. So, sure, but overall, I mean, I think I feel like looking back before, during that time, it went well considerably, you know, I, there were some bumps here and there, but overall it went really well. The kids are so bonded now and, you know, that I love seeing that.
0: So you guys met in 2016, and then just to give a little context of time, when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed in August of 2020. 2020. Okay, so there's a few years. So tell us about what your marriage and life was like from 2016 to 2020 when you were diagnosed.
2: So, you know, there, there was another big thing going on in our lives. My dad was diagnosed with blue body dementia in 2016, hmm. and so starting our marriage off, we already had stressors that were put on our marriage. And I became one of my dad's full-time caregivers uh, Mm -hmm. for four years. So, you know,
1: we... Caregiving people. I don't know that people really understand what that's like to be Mm -hmm. a full-time caregiver to somebody with a a disease like that. Is that? Can you can you kind of explain like what that period of your life looked like? Like, take caring for your dad and and trying to also maintain your marriage and your kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was that like being his caregiver?
2: It was extremely difficult. It was put a lot of stress, I think, on on our relationship, on our marriage, because. I mean, from the get go, we, you know, I was, deal. we were, as soon as we were married, I was, de- I was my dad's caregiver. And so, and then with dementia, you know, it's a progressive disease. Mm-hmm. It just got worse and worse, which meant more time, not at home, more time, not with my husband, not with my children and with dealing with care, caring for my father. And it became at one point, where i was actually at my parents house more than i was at my own mm-hmm. so that was for a, a long period of time you know probably a good 6 months mm-hmm. when that was happening and so when you have that it does definitely put a, a stressor and an impact onto your marriage you know and on your relationship
0: yeah we had our husband's on two episodes ago and What they kind of said was that it felt a little lonely to to be to be that other side. So do you do you feel like now looking back on that time, do you feel like your husband probably kind of had that similar feeling even before you were diagnosed?
2: I think so. Um, Not a lot because him and I both are extremely very independent and in nature. And so but I do feel like the intimacy part was not there. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a huge part of a marriage, I think, you know, and it's important. And I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about just being intimate with your partner, Mm -hmm. whether that be, you know, cuddling on the couch or going on a date or or whatever that looks like for, for you and your partner. Unfortunately, you know, we weren't doing any of that Mm -hmm. because of this other thing that was happening. It definitely put a wedge between us and our marriage to begin with, even prior to our di-
0: my diagnosis. How did you feel on your end? Did you feel like that was missing and you felt that hole from the intimacy missing? Or did you feel like, I don't have time for that. I've got too many other things going on. I already have a lot of emotions that are happening. Like, what, what did that feel like from from your side during that time?
2: For me, it kind of felt like I put our marriage on the back burner and was kind of like, in my, I, I tend to compartmentalize a lot of things in my life just to deal. Mm-hmm. And so that was something I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm putting, I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm putting, I feel like my, my marriage is on the back burner, but when, and this sounds awful, but the reality of my dad's disease was it's terminal, mm-hmm. you know, there he, he was dying. And so I knew that that was coming soon And so I just kept saying, well, once that happens, then I'll focus on my marriage. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And so I do take responsibility in a sense of what happened between my husband and I, because, you know, I did put our marriage on the back burner on my end.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like that's such a universal feeling, though, especially you. I mean, I think that's where you maybe we're heading, Sarah. It's like. 'Cause we when we talked to our husbands, you know, I said I believe that men feel close to their wives through intimacy. Now you said it's not always sex, but sex is a big part of how men feel close to their wives. Yes. But I feel like women, and I'm speaking for myself, and it sounds like you felt the same way, when we're under an immense amount of stress, it's easy to put sex and to intimacy on the back burner because it just feels like another obligation sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, instead of looking at it as a way to bond and as a way to maintain the relationship and as a stress reliever,
0: I think It seems like a sh- a, an like additional, a, stress a stress giver a an, stress, adi- an additional stress. Yeah. Yeah, and I
1: I think all women do that to yeah. some degree. I think that's like I do you guys agree?
0: Yeah. Oh, I Agreed. 100%. Yeah. And yes, I I think that's definitely. where
1: yeah, there's that tension there, right? Between what your husband's needs are and what your needs are. And yeah. I think, you know, I would be sitting there going, "Oh my gosh, can you just like you said, you know, that your dad's dying. And it's just, can you please just, you know, I I can see myself having a conversation with my husband being like, can you put your big boy pants on? I'm dealing with this when this is over. I can, you know, I can, I can do everything else, but I can't do
0: it all. Well, and I think women so much, and I feel like maybe this is how I feel, but I feel like women, we have to be emotionally invested in the in the relationship, in the intimacy. Mm -hmm. And it's not just something that we can do because we, we want the intimacy. We have to like emotionally be there, which means our mind has to be there. And if our, if your mind is grieving your dad, or if it's grieving how awful the day was because of what you had to see or what you had to do with your dad, or just like watching everything that was declining with him, it's hard to then go completely to the other side to this, like you know, loving place where you're then going to, like, give to your husband and, like, give yourself, even though you know, like, it's kind of like exercise. I know it's going to feel better when it's all done, except just getting there to do it is difficult when your mind is already over here in this darker place. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. absolutely. I agree. And that's, that's a
1: skill, right? Like, yeah. like everything else in life, learning how to navigate that and, and basically, you know, Figure out how that works to where both mm-hmm. of you are happy, that's a skill that takes time. And when you're in stressful situations, you don't, you know, you're not really going to school to learn that. So, right, for sure. I think that's super interesting. Okay. So, before we go on and kind of talk about what happened yeah. after you got diagnosed, do you guys want to do Boobs in the News really quick? Yes. Let's do it. You want some levity, sure. Kelly? Yeah.
0: <laughs> we, we just got really deep. <laughs> we got really it. deep yeah. really
1: fast. So let's do some levity. <laughs> All right. So, Boobs in the News is a segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous. News stories.
0: And the news, Fibs in the news, and the news.
1: This is kind of different because this is more just like little. Fu- I just thought this was kind of funny. We all have kids. So <laughs> this is from the Huff Post and it says parents reveal the funniest names their kids give everyday things. So the first one, for example, is somebody's kids call uh, detergent laundry sauce.
0: That's funny. (laughs) That's funny, right? I'm Um, on the sauce. (laughs) My
1: son calls grated parmesi parmes. Hello, parmesan. There you go. My son calls grated parmesan cheese spaghetti sprinkles. Oh yeah, we call it sprinkles. We call it sprinkled cheese too. Do you? (laughs) Uh, When my son was seven, he asked me why do I always see signs that say Penny saliva everywhere. I had no idea what he was talking about until he pointed one out to me. We live in Pennsylvania.
0: That's funny, Penny saliva. That
2: is funny. Okay,
1: let's see here. (laughs) I'll
2: never see. I'll never see that word again the same. (laughs) Right, exactly.
1: (laughs) My daughter calls the Statue of Liberty the Queen of Starbucks. Nice. All right, let's see. (laughs) They
2: need to put a Starbucks in the Statue of Liberty now. Yeah, I mean that just makes sense. For sure, (laughs) they
1: should. It's everywhere else. Maybe they do. I don't know. I've
2: never been (laughs) in the Statue of Liberty
1: same and then let's see I'm trying yeah. to keep this PG because some of these are really funny but they're like cussing <laughs> okay my son calls a plunger a dookie puncher <laughs> we'll, we'll end on oh, that that's okay. great we'll, we'll end on that one <laughs> yeah it's typical it's boys typical all right there's your boobs <laughs> yeah. in the news uh,
0: boobs in the news Bibs in the news Bibs in the news so we're back. I want to hear, before we talk about what life was like in your marriage or after you, di- you were diagnosed, knowing that you kind of had all these stressors leading up to your diagnosis, what was it like finding out when you were diagnosed? Like, how, how did that land in your marriage and your relationship with your kids, with yourself?
2: It was extremely surreal, you know, because my dad at that point was end of life. Mm-hmm. Hospice had been brought in. So... Then we get this other huge, you know, thing that comes in and I really didn't, it, it was, it was, it was like, I wasn't even, it was, this wasn't my life, you know, Mm -hmm. I was living somebody else's life. That's how it felt. I I didn't feel like it was real. Yeah. You get that. How could this happen to me? Why me? You know, Mm -hmm. this timing, you know, you know all of those questions, all of those things that that cross your mind, and and I think I was just numb for a for a while there, to be honest.
0: Yeah,
1: that's a lot of trauma in a very short period of time.
0: Yeah, it was. It yeah. really was. Yeah.
1: So you get this news, and what was your official diagnosis? Like, I, obviously, breast cancer, but did they? What stage were you? What treatment was? What was your treatment plan? So I
2: was ERPR positive, HER2 negative, IDC stage three okay. due to the size six centimeters with an additional six centimeters of DCIS. And it had metastasized to one of my lymph nodes.
1: Okay. So, so you're going to have to do the whole shebang.
2: Whole shebang. Whole okay.
1: Shebang. All right. And how did your husband respond to the news? I mean, we know we know very well that feeling of numbness, that surreal, you know, you, yep, <laughs> that check out mentally when you get that news from our side. How did your husband respond to your diagnosis?
2: You know, he, he didn't seem to really respond much at all to be, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't feel like he did, you know, like I felt like he was very stoic and just kind of matter of fact, and maybe that's just his personality. He works at NASA, so who knows, you know, he's IT and he's just, he's not an emotional person. So he's just kind of was, it was almost like it didn't happen. And mm-hmm. I kind of felt like that with a lot of my family at that time mm-hmm. because of everything that we were dealing with, with my dad. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of emphasis put on my diagnosis when it was hap- when it happened. So at how- least not from from other people. Now for me, yes, because it was it was me. I, yeah. it was you know, I was the one that had cancer.
0: How did that feel to know that your family was kind of like, well, We'll, we'll think about your diagnosis and everything you're going through, but right now we're dealing with dad. Like, how did that feel for you? It felt very lonely.
2: Mm. And so I was fortunate enough that when I was actually diagnosed, like when they told me there was a nurse navigator in the room and she directed me to a local support group. Mm. So I immediately, as soon as possible was got involved with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You knew that you needed that support and you went ahead and you pursued it. That's, that's really interesting that even in that state that you were in, that you knew enough to know that you better, you better get with some, Mm -hmm. some people that can support you in this. Yeah. Yes.
2: Because I couldn't, I I couldn't expect my mom and my sister who were dealing with everything with my dad too. I couldn't expect them to just stop that and, and focus on me, you know? And so it, it's my responsibility, I felt, to, to do that for
1: myself.
0: Yeah. Wow, Interesting. That's, that's very heavy. Yeah. That's a
1: lot. And it's not, but, you know, like we were talking offline before we started down this, um, before we kind of went live with this, it's it's amazing. And we talk about it all the time that cancer doesn't exist in a vacuum. And I think that to the outside world who hasn't experienced cancer yet, that that's the thing that gets missed is that Mm -hmm. it's not just a cancer diagnosis. We have lives outside of, you know, we had lives that were going along before cancer. And so people really aren't thinking about just like your dad, how that is affecting the entire family and how that contributes to marriage. And I mean, the tentacles of cancer are so far reaching.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: You know, absolutely. there's just so much going on in our lives and it's not just one thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. We're going to get into the hard part here. You told me that we connected and you were kind of sharing your story. And you told me Mm -hmm. that your husband had a one night stand one month after you were diagnosed with breast cancer. How did you find out about this? How did you find out? Did he tell you?
2: So, uh, yes, he told me. I don't think he would have told me, but he ended up getting syphilis.
0: Oh,
2: well, that's a way to find out. That's that's
1: definitely going to force his hand. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So the infidelity, the one night stand occurred approximately about a month after I was diagnosed. I did not ask details. I didn't, I I don't need that Mm -hmm. for myself. Right. Some women may, and that's fine. You know, whatever works for you. For me, I didn't need, need all that, but I did want to know when it happened. Mm -hmm. So he did divulge that information. And then, and yeah, where were sh- you
1: in the treatment process when this happened? Like, what was going on with you treatment wise at this point?
2: When he had the one night stand, I hadn't really even started any treatment. I I had been diagnosed in August, and then I was scheduled for my double mastectomy for November fifth.
1: Hmm.
2: What he told me, as far as it, it, it happened, like at like in September at some point in September. Mm-hmm. So I was really at that point, I think I was just, my dad was so bad. And then I was going from doctor to doctor, to doctor, you know, doing all the tests mm-hmm. that they require prior to. And of course, you know, I had a more biopsies done because they should saw something in my right breast too. And so they had to do that. And you know, it was just constant doctor's appointments, constant, constant, constant. And then then my dad passed away October 31st. Mm. My DMX uh, was uh, November 5th.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then he didn't tell me about the one night stand. Like I said, he, he started to show symptoms of the syphilis. We didn't know what it was obviously at the time. It was like a rash all over his body. And so he started to go to the doctor for that. And eventually they told him that's what it was. And per the health department, you're required to tell all partners of that diagnosis. And so I think if he hadn't gotten that diagnosis, I
0: don't know if he would have told me or not, to be honest with you. Is that something you guys have talked about in counseling? Since we have touched on that, yes.
1: Would okay, you? Yes. Are you? I've talked to women before whose marriages have had, you know, uh, infidelity in them, and it's interesting because sometimes women wish they hadn't that they hadn't been told. Are you glad that he told you? Like, if he hadn't gotten syphilis, it, would you have wanted to know, or would you? What What are your thoughts around that? Is this was this out of character for him? Were you shocked by this? I was. I was, and the reason.
2: Being is one of the main reasons he left his first marriage is because she was unfaithful mm-hmm. to him Oh wow. and had been having an affair their entire marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I knew how he felt about infidelity as mm-hmm. far as what he had shared with me from his first marriage and the, and the pain it had created for him.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I honestly was
1: shocked. What was your reaction when when he told you this? I mean, I can't even imagine. I'm just thinking through the timeline of this with your father and then your treatment plan and him then this passing, news. and then this news. Yeah. I mean, what? Oh, it was
2: just it, it it. So I was I was in. So I had just, I believe, finished my first AC, and maybe I had already. I sometimes my timeline gets messed up with with yeah. chemo because of everything, but. I may have just finished my second, I think, AC. It was between my first and my second uh, treatment for AC. So I had already started chemo. And he came in and told me that he had syphilis. So if he didn't say that he had had an affair.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But obviously, you know, without saying, you know, saying telling me that information is, is basically telling me that he had an affair. Right. So I said to him, well, you know what this means? And he said, yeah, I do. Yeah. And I said, okay. And then there wasn't really much talk after that. And so I said, when and do I know the person? Mm -hmm. I want, those were like the two things I I wanted to know. Mm -hmm. And also was it an ongoing, like emotional affair? You know what I mean? Because for me, There's a difference. There would have been a difference if it was an emotional affair too. Mm -hmm. If it was something that had been going on for a period of time, there was an emotional connection. You know what I mean? That would have really made my decisions different than what they have been. Mm -hmm. So he did give me some of that information. Like I said, I did not want to know all of the details, especially at that time, because I was really just trying to focus on myself and getting through chemo
1: yeah <laughs> and but so at that, at, at that point you were kind of like you need to step away and we're going to just basically separate right yes okay yes and how did the kids take all of this did they know what was going on did you guys kind of keep it on the DL how did that all work
2: we kind of kept a little bit on the DL I mean he, my daughter knew and, and knows all of the details his, because his, she's older Plus, she was at the house when he told me. So she experienced that situation a little bit. I couldn't protect her from all of that. His kids were not there at the time. So, but we didn't divulge, you know, details. It was just, we're dealing with something. This is what needs to happen for us right now. We're going to separate. It doesn't mean we're going to divorce. It just means that we're separating for now. You know, the whole speech that you gave your kids about, you know, we love you. It's not your fault. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're still going to, the kids really are bonded. And so it was really hard for them. I think that was the hardest part for them, to be honest, was just their fear of not being able to be with each other
0: Mm
2: -hmm. as siblings. And so I made it clear to them that we would make sure, even through my treatment, I touched base with their mom and said, hey, I want to make sure that the kids continue to have time together because that was important to them. Yeah. What's important to them is important to me.
1: And did your husband feel the same way? Was he interested in protecting the kids? Did he show? I'm curious. You know, you guys were separated and I want to get to this in a minute because you guys are in therapy now and I'm interested in that. But was he very remorseful? I mean, could you tell? Did this impact him emotionally? Was he devastated by his decision? How did he Absolutely. respond? He was.
2: Mm. He was extremely devastated by the situation and everything, and all of his decisions. This this decision, he
1: he was a he. I've, yeah, it was bad. And how did that make you feel seeing that he was so distraught about the decision? Because I, I tend to feel the way that you do, Kelly. My husband and I have talked about it multiple times because we all have those friends that said, oh, if, if my wife or husband stepped out, I'd be gone. Mm-hmm. Like, end of story. The marriage is over. And I was I used to feel that way when I was younger. But as I've gotten older and I've built my life with my husband and we've had children together, I, I would not say that necessarily today.
0: You know, I, and I want to say this really fast because I feel like. I feel like this is what I'm hearing and maybe the perspective I'm hearing. I, uh, Kelly, like I, I know, I, I mean, I don't know, but I, I can tell that like the whole situation just like came to a head and everything landed all at once. But you already recognized and you said that like you were, you had already kind of pulled away and were putting so much focus and the intimacy was gone even before you came to the diagnosis and this happened. So what I hear is that there is like, not necessarily understanding like there's I don't think you can ever like you can work to forgive but there is understanding that the emotional piece of it and the intimacy was gone and so this was just the reaction that happened from it right and so that's what the therapy that's that's what I was gonna say is
1: that when you've you know committed to somebody and you know and they they do something that's out of character that they're devastated by Mm -hmm. And it's not a, you know, they're not chronically, you know, cheating on you. And and you do have a lot of other stressors. Now, as a more mature person, I look at that and say, I wouldn't just throw my marriage out the window because of this one indiscretion. It would be very, very, very difficult. And I'm not I mean, we respect women's decisions, whether they stay or they go. And every situation is different. Very different. Yeah. Yes. But I, I think. I, I'm really that was part of why your story really interested me because I, I thought it was it was kind of amazing that you that you recognized your side of this story and his side of the story mm-hmm. and you wanted to put the work in. put the work in to at yeah. least, you know try to see where if you guys can can get back on track. Yeah. So you guys are in therapy now together. How's that going? What does that look like?
2: It's going well. We we tried to go every other week and we're seeing sh- somebody that was recommended by my personal therapist. But of course, uh, also, so uh, let me give a little bit of backstory before we get to the marriage counseling, because there was a period of time where I was shut off from him completely. Like I had to shut all communication. hmm and that, that lasted a good, probably two to three months where we really didn't communicate. And if we did, it was not productive. It was not good. And then when things kind of started to calm down, I finished AC and I was able to kind of get myself into a better place emotionally, mentally, and even physically with the treatment. Then I was able to really say, okay, Kelly, what are we going to do here? What's the next step? So that's when I reached out the olive branch and where I said, hey, you know, let's talk about this.
0: I'm curious what got you. Do you think it was like kind of stepping back and cutting off that communication for two months? Was that what helped you regroup or was there something like externally, like the support group that you were in or like your therapist, like what helped you get to that place where you're like, okay, I can, I can let down some of the anger. Maybe I can find some forgiveness in my heart. Like, and I am willing to like, like you said, put that olive branch out there, but what helped you? It,
2: it was just, it wasn't the support group. It wasn't my therapy. It wasn't any outside influence. It was just myself uh, reflecting you know i was in bed a lot you know with chemo and so i had a lot of time to think you know i i i just once the anger subsided i started to miss him you know Mm. i started to miss my partner and
0: i'm sorry i'm gonna get emotional it's okay it's all right it's just that companionship You know,
2: and like you all were talking about earlier, people make mistakes, you know, Mm -hmm. and I always try to treat people the way I would want to be treated, you know, Mm -hmm. because that infidelity would be completely out of my character as well, but none of us are immune to the possibility of that occurring, and so I just, you know, just did a lot of soul searching, I guess, and realized that you know there was still so much to salvage mm. in our marriage. You know, this was such it was not a huge, huge thing because, like I said, it wasn't an emotional affair, mm-hmm. so I could get past it. And I knew and once I realized that, once I realized Kelly, you can get past this, then I then that's when I reached back out to him and said, let's work on this. But here are my boundaries. Here are my here this is this is what I need mm-hmm. to be able to do this.
1: I, I'm I'm really just I don't know. I'm kind of in in, in, in awe awe, awe of you because I think that what you're saying is powerful. I think it's beautiful. I think it's missing in today's world. Mm -hmm. This this ability to forgive this ability to see beyond the hurt to say, I think we can build this back and Mm -hmm. be stronger for it. Mm -hmm. But it's it's painful and it takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of work. And so I'm just really in awe of you. And I think that you're an incredibly resilient, strong person Mm -hmm. and very brave for sharing your story. So I want to kind of wrap up with your advice for women that maybe find themselves in a similar situation. But before we do that, let's hear from our second sponsor.
0: SSM Health is a proud sponsor
2: of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key, and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life-saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next-day appointments. Visit SSMHealth.com slash schedule mam to make your appointment now.
0: So, Kelly, again, thank you for sharing your story today. I know it took a lot of vulnerability to share You know your hardest struggles in your life and in your marriage, but I know, I know for sure this episode is going to help so many women. Just kind of give them perspective and maybe shed a light on their struggles that they're not alone. Which I feel like is is yeah. I mean,
1: cancer, you know, caregiving is isolating. Cancer is isolating. Mm -hmm. It's just it's so easy to think that you're going through these things by yourself and that nobody else, you know, is experiencing these kind of things. But it's it's not true. And so when we share our stories, I think it really does help all of us. So thank you, Kelly, for being here.
2: Thank you. You're welcome, too. Yes.
1: All right. So next time, our first episode of 2022, that's right. We're starting a new year and we're going to launch into a new series on quality of life after a breast cancer diagnosis. And so we are going to, are we going to talk to a social worker? We're talking a- to a social worker. Yeah, we're yep. talking to a social worker about the role quality of life plays in a cancer diagnosis, what she sees with the patients she works with and an exciting new initiative. So stay tuned. Whoop
0: whoop. All right. Until
1: next time, guys. Thank you. See ya. If you are a breast cancer survivor and you love Besties with Breasties, make sure you join our survivorship support network at faiththroughfire.org to gain access to exclusive episodes that are ad-free and uncensored.